Do not confuse this with treatment or mental health advice or direction. Nothing on this podcast is made to supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your mental health caretakers. Although David Kozlowski is a licensed marriage and family therapist, he is not functioning as a certified mental health professional in this environment. But same applies to any professionals who may appear on the Light the Fight podcast. Hey everyone, this is Light the Fight. I am David. And I'm Heidi. And we're in a good mood because we just ate cookies. <laughs> yeah, we did, which was you know, you guys, said- so unexpected. I think that this is absolutely no shame November kicking off right here in Light the Fight. So usually, let me just tell you how this goes down. On a Tuesday night, David usually comes in with some healthy meal. Last week, or a he, protein bar, yeah, yeah, <laughs> protein bar, and an energy drink, yeah, so super healthy. So, mm-hmm. last week, David picks up this super healthy salad from the gas station. <laughs> well, I was trying to be healthy, didn't realize the gas station probably made those a day and a half earlier. You may proceed. Something happened, and by the end of our recording, it that salad had not really done david right and so gas station hard hard boiled eggs beware (laughs) cob salad yeah i was i was feeling i was living dangerously that day so i figured since eating healthy last time didn't work i'm gonna go the other end and try something different you just gotta try things out and apparently tonight david was driving here and he was lured in by probably did they have balloons out because I think it's a grand opening. Well, let me tell you the funny thing about this place. We're going to give them a free little advertisement for crumble cookies. Um, I, It's right next to where my kids get their haircut. And I've never eaten there, but every time me and my wife are there, she and I both made the same observation. We're like, is it just me or every time we're here, we see like 50 guys walk in and out of that and not one woman. So that's weird. Like, So I asked a guy last time, it was last week when I was getting my son's haircut there. I go, hey, are these cookies any good? He didn't, like five guys at their lunch break with shirt and ties, they all looked at me like, oh yeah. Like they didn't say anything. Said, oh yeah. Well, and here's the thing. These are like the biggest pinkest boxes ever. That's what I'm saying. Like why are all these guys going there? And don't get me wrong. I think it's great that they're just facing it. They're Apparently they're good cookies. So I'm like, curiosity got me. And on the way here today, I'm like, you know, we had a, a great seminar. We need to celebrate a little bit. So, you know, cookies, it's cookie time. Well, I fully support this um, maneuver. Well, it's no shame November, so I'm coming out of the closet. This is the first time I'm be eating these cookies in public. <laughs> Usually I'm hiding, eating them alone. So just just to follow through on the free ad that we're giving Crumble, it's C-R-U-M-B-L, Crumble Cookies. And there's probably, I mean, if you're here in Utah, there's probably one in your neighborhood. These things are popping up everywhere. And they deliver. Does Crumble deliver? Yeah. They do? Yeah. See, I didn't know. See, I almost feel like I'm cheating on my friends over at Chip Cookie Company because well, Chip's are. pretty good. Chip's Super good. really, really good. I'm Maybe not going to say the comparison. Us. We might need a taste test. We, we may have to do a separate episode. Like, you know, back in the days, we say, is it Coke or Pepsi? Right. We'll just put cookies in front of us and then and we'll then, talk about yeah. how we feel after we eat the cookies. Sick. 
is how you feel. <laughs> so just you got to really enjoy it while you're doing it. Well, besides cookies, I was going to talk about our seminar, but it sucks. So moving on. Hey, hey, no, he's kidding. He's kidding. I'm so just good. kidding. Let's talk about that for a second. Heidi, go. Well, you know, I have a lot of things that I could say um, about the seminar. One being that seminar number two was easier. Not like I would say like 10% easier, <laughs> but it was, um, I wasn't as scared going in, like thinking, oh gosh, what if, you know, but there is pressure, um, you know, and I can very, very much relate to the way parents are feeling when they come to come to the seminar, really wanting answers, really needing help. Um, but it was unique this time because I invited my brother. That's right. I invited my brother and full disclosure, he came free of charge. So I don't know how. <laughs> how much you really took away from it. Um, but my brother did send me and actually called me today and we talked about um, – his takeaways on my way home from work. And it was very interesting and enlightening. And I, and I find my brother to be an insightful guy and, um, working really hard, you know, trying to figure out the parenting thing. And, you know, I want to share with you one thing that he said, um, and we could talk about a lot of things like, cause there's was a lot of really positive feedback, really powerful feedback. But one of the things he brought up, so somebody in the beginning, so in the beginning of the of the um, workshop, we we throw out, you know, tell some things you guys are struggling with, or that your challenges that you're seeing in your families, or you know, with your with your teenagers, or in your life, whatever. And there's, you know, no shortage of challenges. And somebody raised their hand and said entitlement, which. You know, I think it's definitely a buzzword. It's definitely something that we're always talking about when we're talking about teenagers these days or, you know, whatever. These damn whipper, young whippersnappers. <laughs> and my brother said that when the word entitlement cropped up, because I had just given my first, my lecture, in the very beginning, I give this little lecture of this workshop is for you. It's not about your kids. I want you to think about yourself and ways that you can change as a, as a parent. So I just kind of given that, got off that little soapbox. And my brother said, when this person um, brought up entitlement, he looked at the word entitlement for the first time from the perspective on himself. And he said, in his mind, he thought, why do I feel so entitled that my expectations of what I want from my family are X, Y, Z. So right from the beginning, the first five minutes of the podcast, his perspective, and no, no dissing on my brother, but for him to have that moment, and, and actually I'd never thought of that reverse entitlement <laughs> concept you know, either. I'm actually, it's, it's interesting that he said that because I'll let you continue, but I'm thinking a lot of things at the moment, so... Well, and I wanted to I wanted to bring up um, 
let's see. I want to read this to you because this is the text. Um, so I, I'm just going to read to you exactly his words because he, he did a good job um, describing it. He said, on day one, in the very beginning, when people were talking about some of the problems we're dealing with today, someone mentioned the word entitlement. I actually reflected on this in my own context, considering my own sense of entitlement to my own expectations and how that has caused me to fiercely enforce expectations that may be completely or at least partially irrational and not applicable to the family and people that I actually ended up with. And um, I was so like taken back because I had never thought of entitlement in that way. But we as parents, we do feel entitled that our kids should do what we say. Like I, I burst you and I fed you milk and I changed your diapers. And so I'm entitled for you to do what I want you to do and be who I want you to be and act how I want you to act. Right. That's, that's the same, um, sense of that sense of entitlement. And so, um, you know, that's what was, what's really amazing. I was saying to him, and I don't want to, I would like you to be able to comment on this, but I want to say one last thing is that I was expressing to my brother that when I teach a scrapbooking event or craft event, and I may have mentioned this here before, I know what someone's going to get out of it. When they come and I'm giving them a kit and telling them what to do, and they follow my instructions, when they leave, they're going to get exactly what I intended for them to have. And I was expressing to him that with this workshop, I don't know what people are carrying out with them. I don't know what they got out of it exactly. I, it causes me some insecurity wondering like, did they think that was worth it? Did we do what we said we we're going to do? Was it worth it to them? Blah, 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 blah. And Cameron's, my, my brother said to me, you know, isn't that how it is with as parents? Like we put all this effort into our kids and into our family and we aren't sure what they're getting out of the effort. And, and that, it kind of just went along with that entitlement concept, but we really want to control the outcome. Um, but that's not how it always works. Yeah, um, I, I'm. I'm really. First of all, I'm really glad that your brother came. And on day two, he he didn't disappoint then either. He, you know, he said some really interesting things um, that showed great insight. He modeled for some people something that he had to recently do for his child, and and he was brave. Yeah, and I could tell it wasn't easy for him. Right, I could no. tell it didn't come <laughs> intuitive to say the things he said to his kid, but it came from, you know. I think that's part of the entitlement is we've worked so hard. And I'm saying when I'm saying we, I'm talking to all of us parents out there. We've worked so hard to put food on the table, provide for our kids. We actually look at ourselves as being more intelligent, more knowledgeable, and more just savvy in life than our parents. I, I think most adults right now that are in their you know, 30s, 40s, and 50s, even though they love their parents and look at their parents, we probably see ourselves as hopefully a little bit uh, cut above them because of the experiences we've had. And we know how to operate a phone, you know, <laughs> like little, little things that give us some confidence. 
And so we have this thing about us, and I'm just talking like off the top of my head from hearing what you said about your brother. We do have this thing about us that's like, hey, I've worked so hard. I've accomplished and I've achieved so many things. I make things work for me and I've been doing it for so long. Why can't I make this one thing? Like, It would make sense why we'd feel entitled that we're deserving of respect, admiration, and all these things simply because we've done all these things for this person or for our kids. One thing that I said during this um, during this workshop that I didn't say before that goes right along with this that a lot of people came up to me and said afterwards, I said, I never thought about it. They were talking to me. They said, Dave, I never thought about um, what you'd said in regards to, I'd mentioned that our kids' number one priority is to not better their relationship with us. That's not their- Which is painful reality. <laughs> well, it's not even their number two priority and number three priority. In the stage of their life, they're, they should be exploring life, finding, creating their own autonomy, finding out who they are, what's going to make them happy, what job, all these different, how they can contribute into, to friends' lives and all these other things. And so their, their task, so to speak, right now is how do I successfully go into the world and offer something to my social groups in the world, whether it be work, friends, whatever it may be. But they shouldn't be trying to sort out a relationship with their parents at 17, 18, 19 years old. That, that task was already supposed to be done early on. So all too often, parents, as their kids get older, they start to think, I don't have enough time. I'm losing this relationship with my kids. When I think your brother you know, found out in his way, he found out that you know, maybe us as parents are entitled meaning maybe we're having unrealistic expectations of all of our hard work was supposed to equal. Now at 19, they're going to want to obey and listen to everything that's going to make our lives easier. When in reality, that's not the case. And it's, that's not on their to-do list. They just need to have a solid foundational family structure that they can rely upon so that they can go out into the world and take risks. If your family's safe and secure and you got a good relationship with your family, then you don't need to stay home to save your family. You don't need to constantly be living at home because you're insecure because you can't handle yourself. Everyone gets to naturally just level up to the next phase of life. Parents get to focus on their younger kids. Parents get to focus on their relationship, their marriage. That With a lot of the people that came to us, you could tell the relationship with their kids had really caused problems in the relationship in their marriage. That was definitely a thing. That was a th Well, definitely for this seminar. I don't know if it was so much the last seminar, but these were a lot of people that were, they were up against it with their own marriage. Their own marriage was losing a lot. But, but, but acknowledging it. Yeah, acknowledging it. how many people, I, I would say that one of the biggest conflicts that I've ever had in my marriage was about Corey. You know, so when you've got a kid that isn't towing the line... Both of you got, you know, you respond differently for sure. There is major pr and pressure. Yeah, no, and 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 I want to get back to what your brother said. It it makes sense to me because if we think our kids are entitled, yes, the world is giving them a lot, and they feel like they're owed a lot. But we started this. We gave them the world. We told them when they're little, they could do anything, become anything. Anything that they wanted was at their fingertips, and we as parents were going to give them and provide them with every opportunity to achieve that. Problem is, we left out a couple, yeah, but maybes, or uh, like some add-ons, like, oh, 
I forgot to tell you this part though. And some of the things we leave out in that conversation is you have to do it at the time we want you to do it. <laughs> you have to do it in the way that we imagine in our own minds. Otherwise it can't be done right. It has to look and feel a certain way to us as parents. Your success has to look a certain way. It has to um, lead to a certain uh, destination. We have to see in our sites what their successful launch is going to look like. And that's just not true. You know, our kids owe us nothing. They owe us nothing. If you feel that your kids owe you something and you don't feel like that's equal, that's not what this relationship's about. Our job is to help them get to a place so that they can better do their job. Our job is not to get them to a place where they can feel bad for not doing a good enough job. That's not the goal. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we taught, I guess what I'm saying is I agree with what your brother's saying. Unknowingly, if we're not careful, and I'm not trying to put everyone in this when I say we, but if we're not careful, we could be making our kids very entitled. We, we've we padded the walls of their life. We've done these things, and now we want a fair payment back. It's not their job for for them to pay us back. It was never supposed to be an equal relationship in that sense. But I think that if we were smart, we would say, all right, as soon as you start getting a paycheck, you got to start paying me this percentage back. (laughs) Well, if we were smart, we'd say as soon as you start getting a paycheck, I'm going to pay for less of your stuff, regardless how comfortable it makes my life. Right. You're going to drive the kids around and you're using my gas. Well, let's fight about, did you put gas money in the car? Did I put gas money in the car? We have to have some. We have to have some much clearer boundaries, and that's what our workshop and our seminar is. We start from scratch. We realize, or we help people realize that you have greater influence over yourself than you have over your kids. Quit trying to put all the attention on how do I fix them, and it may sound cliche. It's like you need to fix yourself before you fix someone else. But by nature of what we're talking about, you can't influence your kids to do something different if you're doing the same old thing. You can't say, hey, you take on hard challenges, you experiment and come back and tell me if it works or not. But by the way, if, if you don't if you don't figure out the right experiment, if you don't do it right, you're in trouble. We got to take some chances too. And sometimes those chances are being vulnerable. And when I say vulnerable, let me give you an example, just like your brother, acknowledging, hey, I haven't done right by you, meaning like a father telling his kid, hey, I haven't done right by you in these specific areas. And instead of just saying, sorry, like we've talked in other podcasts, I'm going to give you a clear thing that I'm going to consciously work on so that I don't do that again. Mm-hmm. That's it. Instead of saying, okay, now what are you going to do for me? This is not an even exchange. What's what's even and fair about being a parent? Nothing. You've made yeah. that abundantly clear. Yeah, and I'll if say- If you it, haven't gotten this from the Let the Fight podcast, that being a parent is not a fair relationship. And I'll say it a hundred more times <laughs> because it bears. it's worth repeating. Yeah, I agree. And everyone that came to our seminar was looking for solutions for the kid and left with solutions for themselves. Well, and that's what I was just going to point out. Um, so the first parenting workshop, um, I was really focused on myself. And my own nervousness and worry about going back to like, is, are we really going to deliver what, you know, and the only reason, just so you guys listening to this, the only reason why our first seminar, our first workshop was not a complete and utter 
horrible like tragedy was that <laughs> Heidi hit every green light on the way there and she knew that must have been coming from all the gods and all the heavens. <laughs> like the fact that Jupiter, Uranus and all the stars align because from her house to where we're at, there's lots of lights to hit. And there was not a and single every red light. Sin- she showed up. I'm like, oh crap. I was honestly where I'm like, okay, Heidi's running late. Something happened and She's like, no, I wasn't really, uh, not that you're running late, late. It was just like later than you wanted to be there. Right. And I looked at her, I'm like, everything all right? You're like, it's great. It's great. I'm like, she's just faking it. Because I wasn't sure if you were just trying to hype yourself up. And then later I'm like, no, I hit every green light. And that's a sign. I'm like, that's more than a sign. That's a miracle. So thank you for whatever uh, guardian angels made that happen. Truly a miracle. So the first, I mean, the first seminar was, I was nervous just because I like to be nervous. It makes me feel good about myself. But anyway. It's it's your normal laboratory <laughs> workshop. Right. And then with this one, I didn't feel, there was no unknowns. Like I knew how it was going to go and I, I, and I wasn't as nervous. And, and so here's what happened. Um, this is what made, made me nervous all of a sudden. This group of people, and we're going to have a different group of people every time. This group of people were, they were like firing off the questions from the get-go. Like we would, we would talk they about wanted to and know like, yeah, the what? end of the movie right when it started. They, <laughs> they wanted did. to know the punchline of the joke before you told it. They did. And you could tell that the, that the questions that they had were very specific. Um, they came with the questions, which I think is great. Uh, you know, I would encourage that. Here's what was interesting. By the end of the second day, they realized that they weren't asking the right questions. They didn't have, and, and that's the most beautiful part about this, about the podcast. I think David, about the way that you, um, approach the relationship building and, and then by default, the workshop is that it changes your perspective, and um, well, and adds a new one. The it doesn't just, it doesn't or, just change or, your perspective, <laughs> but it adds it adds totally different angles that you'd never. People come to say, "I can't. I've tried everything," and then at the end of the seminar workshop, they're like, "Apparently, I didn't." Right, right. And so, if you are somebody listening to this, and you're like, uh, Here's how I describe the some of our our listeners or some of the people who have come to the to the workshop. Like they've pretty much gone down every road, and they might be at their wit's end, or you know, some of those things just didn't work out. And now they're finally willing to be open. And this is me. This is this is me, Heidi Swap. I was at the point where I had to finally listen. And um, that, I'm going to say that humility of not knowing what else to do um, gets you to the place where you're willing to try the thing that you never would have thought of. Um, Hence, our non-intuitive solutions. Well, you hear this in all walks of life. Every job you hear, the the younger person at the company that well, I've tried everything. Nothing's working. I did this. I did that. And constantly every option is just a dead end, a dead end, a dead end. And you kind of see that the person 
is shooting down everything because they feel pretty hopeless. They feel like there's not, their brain can't possibly fathom that there's any other approach to it. And then someone else on the job that has much more experience comes along and goes, oh, just do this, do that. And all of a sudden it just, it works. So people do feel hopeless because they've tried everything that they knew. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we, we just, there's just stuff we didn't know. There's, there's different levels which of understanding us- and which takes time. And everyone that comes to our seminars, you know, you know God bless their hearts. They got to be going through something, an extreme amount of struggles and difficulties for, to pay the money, to show up. And like I told you afterwards, Heidi, they have to walk into a room with a bunch of other parents who they don't know, and no one knows whose situation's worse. Right. <laughs> it's like you're looking at it, it's like, are you the worst family in here? Are we the worst family? <laughs> and you could tell there's this nervousness and anxiety, but it, for us, it's a, great, it's a great experience to watch that from the moment we start, and then at the moment we end, it's all gone. Mm-hmm. It's it lighter. Is. Everyone in the room on the second day, the second day really pulls it together because that's where we sit together in, in a large group and just talk and, and share discussion. And that's when you start to see everybody crying for other people's situation. And sometimes not literally crying, but you're just feeling for other people what they got going on. And it's just cool to see how much you can learn from other people's experiences. That on the outside, you look like, oh, we have nothing in common with our kids. But when you start talking about how it makes them feel as people, the insecurities it brings up, the difficulties it char- it causes in their marriage, oh, you're very similar. <laughs> you just had a different scenario that got you there. Well, and that kind of, I want to bring up probably my favorite quote, that the quote that I tell myself all the time and that I have to remember, and it's a quote by Maya Angelou that goes, forgive yourself for the things you didn't know before you learned them. And many of us are in this case. That's why we're here today. That's why we're listening. That's why we're willing to dedicate any brain space to this podcast is because we don't know. And we're willing to be open to something that we haven't learned yet. Well, and but if you've come to Light the Fight seminar or workshop, you do know, so you can't forgive yourself then because you should have known better. You got the manual, you got the booklet, you yeah, wrote now, the notes. Now you're Now host. there's no excuse. <laughs> well, we just want to take a little time to share about that. We, we had a lot of fun. Thanks to everyone who came out. Um, it, it just it was a great time, and we're looking forward to our next one. I just feel bonded for life with those yeah, people. Yeah, <laughs> right? And I think they do too. You know, I think they do too. Oh, gosh, so, yeah. Um, we're looking forward to it. As of right now, if everything goes according to plan, uh, beginning of 2019, we'll be doing our next uh, parenting workshop. And it looks like, as we said, it's going to be in St. George. St. George, Utah. And we're trying to work out some details to be our next one after that in San Diego. Because as I always say, people near the ocean, they deserve the help first. Because <laughs> they're paying all that money to live there. Like, don't you feel bad for the people in Newport Beach with their I yachts do. It breaks and their my heart. Bentleys? It and they're like, Daddy, <laughs> I wanted a beamer. I'm just kidding. We used, to, we used to make fun of all the, the Orange County kids when I lived in San Diego. We're like, oh, spoiled brats. Oh, because you're not spoiled in San Diego. Nobody's spoiled. Hey, our there. parents were millionaires, not billionaires, okay? Down okay. where I'm from, big difference. Big difference. Right. Everyone in our, like our neighborhoods, it's like, hey, you're making $100,000, $200,000 a year up in Newport, a lot more. Wow. Well, you know, twist my arm. Really have to twist Dave's arm to get him to go to California. So we're looking forward to that. And, um, you know, TBH, just like we always talk about, um, Heidi just has to get reps. 
<laughs> so right. that I don't freak out. In fact, to help you get reps, we'll we'll book a seminar in California, and I'll just surf, and you do it. Oh, How's this that is sound? a great. This is a great. No. Okay. No. no? That, okay. That's where that's where I'm gonna I tried. Line. <laughs> All right. So moving on. What do we got today, Heidi? What what's, what you got queued up for us? What's on your mind? What's brewing? Well, so here's the thing. Um, there's something that you have teased. You've teased it, um, and you talked about this in the, in a dinner with David. You teased it a little bit in the seminar, but we didn't have a PowerPoint slide about this, and so I was like, moving on. We got to stay on track, David. It's going off script. We can't go off script, and so, um, but this is something that actually. And I think we actually did tease about it a little bit here on the podcast. So I would like to invite you um, to talk a little bit about your own story, about a story, a story. You know, David is a good storyteller. We know, we all know that. <laughs> um, and most uh, of them are partly true. And so you've talked a little bit about um, how to go from being a villain or a hero and how to, and there's a victim. I don't really know. So I'm going to, I'm going to just like pass the med, the theoretical mic, even though we both have one. Well, thank you for, let you talk about this. Thank you for inviting me to my own podcast to talk about this. And I <laughs> yeah. do accept your invitation. And I'm just going to eat a cookie <laughs> while you're, while you're talking. I'm just going to sit back. And yeah. Pay attention. So I don't have to repeat this okay. after the podcast. Okay. I got okay. this. I got this. So uh, what Heidi's referring to, and partly the, the story, because it, it goes into a little bit of a, a personal background, is this is a lesson I learned through my own experience, not yeah, not necessarily just by counseling people, but it showed up in counseling people as well. I um, So one of the things that, that I specialize in, and when I say specialize in, if you could see the look on my face, I say specialize like I'm about to vomit. <laughs> um. I specialize in something that I did not wish I specialized in. Well, the one I talk about usually is suicide prevention because obviously I don't want to help people with that, but people are having that issue. But one thing that I've come to get really good at and work with for many years was is a specific personality disorder uh, called borderline personality disorder. And borderline personality disorder is is not as well known as other personality disorders. Um, there are a few people that have come out and talked about borderline personality disorder. Um, the most notable athlete that's ever talked about this is Brandon Marshall, um, an NFL wide receiver, and he's got a foundation. Um, he's he's been really open about him being diagnosed diagnosed pers- borderline personality disorder. ESPN did a special on him. Just really cool stuff. So for all the people out there that don't have time to Google this while you're listening to our podcast. Borderline personality disorder, it's it's pretty bad. It's pretty severe. Um, when I first learned about this in, um, in school, it was very known to me. Well, right when I first heard about it in school, I had an anxiety attack. I was in a classroom. Um, they started talking about this disorder. Our professor had said, hey, you know, um, this is the most difficult personality disorder uh, that uh, probably the most difficult type of person for you to counsel is going to be someone with this personality disorder. And then she started to describe what it was. 
I had the hair on my back of my neck stand up. Not that I have a lot of hair on the back of my neck. Point is, peach fuzz hair. And I had the hair on the back of my neck stand up. I started having anxiety. Went in the hallways. Started freaking out. Came back in. And I just had flashbacks of my childhood. Things that I didn't even know. Just memories were coming back that apparently I'd blocked out. And I pulled my professor off to the side. And I said, hey, uh, that borderline thing you talked about? She said, yeah. And I told her what had happened during the class. She's like, yeah, you need to see someone. <laughs> She goes, here's a couple names of some people you should counsel. And um, so anyways, I, I believe I might have talked about this a little bit in this pod, in our podcast in the early episodes. I, I don't know how much I got into. Point is, I'm leading to a point. Point is, throughout the years, I, I started specializing, started working with it. Um, it just, you know, there's a lot of borderline personality disorder in my family. And um, so long story short, I become a professional and I started to come up with different ideas to help teach people that have relationships with loved ones that are borderline personality disorder, how to understand it, how to work with it. And one of the things that I came up with um, also lends itself to understanding teenagers. And the reason why is teenagers and borderline personality disorder people have a lot in common. So borderline personality disorder, when someone, when, if you've ever heard someone say, that person is so bipolar. By definition, if you Googled bipolar and if you Googled borderline personality disorder, you would see that what people should be saying is, oh, that person's so borderline personality disorder. Problem is borderline personality disorder never really made it to the forefront of people's minds and tongues for them to know what it is. Basically, the best way to describe borderline personality disorder, and it's actually what they were trying to get the name changed to for years, so it actually made sense to people, is emotionally unstable personality disorder. So these are people that go really calm and relaxed. The world's great, super chill and super exciting personality, charismatic. And then minutes later, they could be saying the most evil, mean things to someone being hurtful. And uh, it's pretty extreme. So when people say the person's bouncing back and forth, they're really extreme. That's really more borderline than it is bipolar. So the thing that I came up with to help people understand this was that um, there's three different parts of our personality. And I took some things from some other psychologists that were specialists in personality. I didn't like the language. I didn't really like how it sounded. So I changed it for myself. Um, and I've been teaching this to people for years. Makes sense. They like it. So this is why I brought this up to people like the fight at our dinner and our podcast or in the um, seminar is because... Teenagers are also extremely emotionally unstable, just like borderline personality disorder people. So there's a lot of crossover there. So what I'm referring to is there's three different parts of everyone's personality. One part I call the victor, one part I call the villain, and one part I call the victim. And all those three parts, everyone has to some degree. The difference is when someone's stuck and their personality isn't developing, and I think that could there could be an argument made for when teenagers um, seem to be stuck in a, in a bad place for a while and they're, they're not really developing and growing, that a lot of people say that they're taking on a victim mentality. So most people have heard about this before, victim mentality. And so what I explain to people this past week was that, yeah, you're right. Your teenager, just much like the people I've counseled throughout the year that borderline personality disorder take on a victim mentality. 
So I I just posed the question. I said, everyone that's been victimized, like someone hit by a drunk driver or someone's been in that was actually victimized, they are victimized, but you don't have to be a victim. So I asked people, I said, in order to stay a victim, what are the two roles that a person would need so that they never get out of a victim mentality? And most people, you know, they don't know really what I'm asking for. And I just simply said, in order to stay a victim, you need to have a hero and a villain. And if you notice in the three different personality types that I mentioned, there's the villain, there's the victor, and there's the victim. Well, the victor is really the hero. The villain is obviously the bad guy or bad girl. The victim is the one who doesn't really have a lot of control of their situation. So I'm telling parents that what I found throughout the years that motivates someone that has borderline personality disorder to get them out of not having a personality, get them outside and start to develop a personality, I said of all those three parts of your personality, the victim, the villain, and the victor, there's only one that I found that is easy to manipulate. When I say manipulate, I mean to change because that's the definition of the word manipulate. To get them to make progress, to change, to come out of that victim mentality. And that is the hero. Everyone at some point in their life has dreamed about being the hero. And some of us have actually been the hero of a situation. It could be just with friends. It could be just doing a solid or a favor for someone. And that person is so grateful. They look at you like you're a hero. You're at least a hero to them at that moment. So just like I found out with works with people that have borderline personality disorder, if someone's being a victim, you have to find ways to help them see themselves as the hero. If they see themselves as the hero, then they start to think about things that could get them not just attention and to be liked, but to be accepted and maybe even loved. Everyone sees a hero as someone that is admired, someone that is respected. And even though victims are comfortable in their victim, or I call it their uncomfortable comfort zone, mm-hmm. victims, they don't want to deal with the unknown because the unknown's scary. They'd prefer to just stay where they're at, even though they wouldn't prefer to stay where they're at. And it sounds odd, but people that are victims complain about where they're at. And then you try to give them suggestions or advice how to change it. And they go, oh, no, no, no. I've, I've tried it all. I'm totally comfortable on that. Because we like the known better than the unknown, even if it sucks. Well, I thought you were going to refer back to one of our favorite cartoon movies. You remember what I'm talking about? In your dinner. Oh. Do you remember right. the part when they right, say right. we're settlers? Yeah. We settled hard. We settled hard. We settled a long time ago. <laughs> we're talking about Zootopia. Yeah, in Zootopia. In yeah. case you didn't catch up on that. So too often victims settle with, I'm damned if I do, I'm damned if I don't, I'm going to stay here. But every now and then someone can come along. It could be a friend. It could be uh, you know, a teacher, a coach, and they go, what if you were the hero? What if instead of being the person that was hurt, maybe you could take your hurt and your pain and you could turn that into relieving someone else's hurt and pain? Because the, 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 um, the hero in real life is actually a person that's willing to sacrifice themselves for the betterment of other people. Heroes don't just come in with the cape dun, 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 and save the day in real life. 
Real life, a hero is the person that actually stays late and works for someone else so that that person can go home and have an anniversary with their loved one. So it's not being a hero for yourself. It's it's being a hero from for somebody else. It's a hero that make uh, the hero that we're talking about is if you could do something that could better other people's lives, you would be worthy of admiration. You'd be worthy of respect. And in other terms that we use on the podcast, purpose, purposeful struggle. Purposeful struggle. This is exactly what we're talking about. See, heroes aren't just wandering around saying, hey, what, what could I post today that, that could change other people's lives? Mm-hmm. No, heroes are doing stuff. Heroes are sometimes quiet. Heroes see a problem, they go, hey, let's solve it, and they'll they'll be all in. Hero could be that neighbor of yours that you don't really talk much to, but all of a sudden they see you, your car's broken down, they happen to be really good at cars, they fix your car, and all of a sudden, boom, a relationship came mm-hmm. up. You feel like you owe them one. You feel like they made you want to be a better neighbor. You feel bad that you never talked to them. You feel bad when they moved in, you didn't bake them cookies. But you just thought about, I feel bad, moving on. But when they helped you with your car, now you're looking at them with admiration and respect. Now you're thinking, man, what can I do to make their life better? This is the good mojo and the good karma that makes the world go round. We need to offer something to other people's lives to make them feel like someone cares enough about them that they're going to go out of their way to help them to add value to us to make us feel like we have a reason to live in the first place. And with teenagers... Much like people have borderline personality disorder, they're going through emotional distress at a high clip. I mean, I mean, it's happening so fast. So instead of enacting the victim, so when we talk about sharing, um, sharing, uh, not sharing concern, like don't address the concern with someone, try to address a connection, meaning mm-hmm. talk about when they were in a better place in their life, talk about when they were successful, talk about the things they can do next versus saying, what's wrong? Are you okay? What's happening? All those things are nice and normal, but when someone's in a victim mentality, you can get caught in a very long, complex scheme to make sure they don't have to do hard things. That sounds so, uh, familiar which, with your teenagers. A, right. That's, this is a parent situation. We talked about like, okay, you got a, a project due tomorrow and it's already 10 p.m. Let me save the day. So the parent is the hero. Yep. By... Saving the day. But what happens if the parent is mad because the day before the kid didn't do the chores and the kid's begging, I need you to bail me out. Take me to the store. I need you to get this project done. And the parent says, no, I'm not going to do it because you didn't help me out yesterday. Well, now you're the villain. And if you're out there listening, parents will know you're listening, but think about it. There's days where you are the villain and you're the hero in the same day. In the same 20 minutes. In the same 20 minutes. It's like, you're the villain, but you could be the hero, mom, if you did this for me. And the same thing goes with, you know, lots of relationships in our life. Sometimes people will tell me their relationship is solely based upon them being the hero, the other person being the villain, and that's it. If they try to change the construct of that relationship, the relationship's over. Or they fear there would no longer be a relationship. I see this with parents and kids. I see this- Like a good cop, bad cop kind of situation. But I see this with just dating and marriage in general, where you may not have been in a good place when you met this person. They helped you out. So you feel like you owe them something. Come to find out you were just the one that was wearing your issues on your sleeve. They're way more worse off than you underneath the surface. So now you're staying with them and they constantly have this thing over you that they helped you out in a difficult time so you can never break up with them. You can never not 
acknowledge that they're treating you bad. You just have to stick with it because they were there for you and you needed them. Or what about if you're in a relationship when, where that other person is always miserable? And so in order yeah. to connect, you have to kind of like focus on your misery. You have to talk about the the all insurance in- company that screwed you. Or you have to talk about negative things because that's the only connection you can have with a person that's that's miserable, aka misery loves company. Mm-hmm. So to get someone out of a victim mode, you have to get creative and you have to find ways to elicit to the surface, bring to the surface the hero. Okay, so okay. everybody pay attention. If you're writing notes... This is where you write. This is the pay attention part. So now that we set up the story, here's how it works. If your kid has a victim mentality, like that's just, they're going to, and you're starting to get scared that, oh my gosh, how are they going to live life if everybody's coming to their aid, taking care of them, and they never have to learn how to do things for themselves? Incidentally, if it's your coworker, your spouse, your in-law, your sister, yeah, anyone in your life, any relationship really. Yep. It doesn't pay to acknowledge and give too much attention to the victim. You don't want to dismiss the victim, say, oh, you're, you're ridiculous, you know, that's, you'll be fine, because then they got to tell you for two more hours all the things that apparently you didn't understand about how horrible their life was, because they need to prove to you that they're worthy of being a victim. Never want to get caught in those conversations with people, because it's a dead end. It's a dead end. So instead, what you want to do is you want to find ways to make them feel or see that there's a potential for them to be a hero either at that moment or at some point in the near future. So if going back to what I said, if every victim needs a hero and a villain to stay the victim, then you're going to have to play someone who's not the hero and someone who's not the villain. This goes back to the core of so many things that we talk about on this podcast. The The best way I found it, maybe there's better words to describe this. This is just the way I've been using it for years is that people tell me, okay, if I can't be the hero, meaning I can't bail them out and buy them something, you know, buy their love. And I can't be the villain, so I can't be petty and sarcastic and and take shots Shaming. at them and shame them and stuff like that. What do I they, do? They ask me, like, is, what's the other option? I didn't know there was anything. <laughs> like, I, just, those are the two things that people usually do. I'm like, well, that's hence the reason why we started the podcast and the reason why I pay my bills. How do we not, how, how do we not freak out? Well, here's what I found out. In the very beginning, so... The villain lane, if you were to look at this as a lane on a freeway, or this is a freeway, oh, there's eight lanes on this freeway. There's tons of space to be the villain. Now, the hero, there's eight lanes on that freeway. There's tons of lanes, tons of space for you to save someone. It could be money. It can be all these different types of ways to influence them and, you know, whatever it may be. But the one I'm suggesting, it starts out with it being more like a tightrope. A tightrope. It's about lane. an inch so- <laughs> thick on a good day. Oh, there's nothing I love better this than This is why rope. most parents give up on this because they say, this is entitled parenting. You're teaching your kids how to be just soft and you're not making any hard decisions. You're being too kind. A lot of old school parents don't like the things I first say in the beginning because they feel like in some way it's submitting and that you're giving up and you're just... You're like I always say, you're patting the walls for your kids. I always tell them that's what it sounds like at first. So what you do is if you're not the hero and you're not the villain, you have to pretend to be naive, uninformed, play as if you don't know what's really going on. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you know and what you don't know. It matters how they see your relationship with them. 
are you with them or are you against them? If they think you're with them, that's good, but they would prefer you to be paying for everything and with them. Taking all the risk yourself as a parent. You put all the work in and they would just take the reward because that was really cool when they're five and six and you did that. But now that they're getting older, they don't want to let go of that comfortable life. But then again, if you try to re remind them of, of the things that they're not doing, that they're not ready to launch into adulthood, well, then now you're the villain and that doesn't make them feel comfortable. So to be right in the middle, the reason why I say it's a very small lane to begin with, because in the beginning, you're just trying to figure this out. You have to learn how to use your body language, your facial expressions, and everything about your being to appear as if it's not an urgent situation, even though it may be at times. And you also have to get into character to make your kid believe that you don't even actually have the answers. Because what would happen if you're no longer the hero and you don't have all the answers? They would have to go to other resources and find out information for themselves. But here's what teenagers usually do. They will say, if you don't help me the way I want you to help me, now you're the villain. So then you're motivated to help them. But then when you feel like your teenager's taking advantage of you, then you get mad because you feel like they took advantage of you and now you are becoming the villain. Well, the problem with being the villain as a parent is you don't have half as much energy as your kid does. So you'll be the villain for a little while and you'll get tired of it. And now they're holding a resentment and grudge. See, mom, I was going to do my homework, but since you're mean to me, now I'm not going to. Everything that they're doing is a complete reaction, not everything. A lot of the things that they're doing is a reaction to you being the villain or the hero. If they're lazy, it's because you're too good at being the hero. If they're disgruntled and angry, it's because you're too good at being the villain. So you got to find a soft place to land right in the middle. And right in the middle means you have to get into character and you have to pretend that you don't have all the information because no one is scared or angry at a naive person. You know how many naive people in your life and in your work slide underneath the radar because they're smart enough not to stir the pot and rock the boat? There's always people at your job that if there's a if there's something wrong, they got to bring it to the CEO. They got to make a big deal out of every little thing. Well, guess what that person does? They just identified themselves as someone that's hard to work with. Mm -hmm. Well, and, you know, and let me, let me add. So I'm, I'm sitting here thinking like, Right now, and I always love to apply this to my own, <laughs> to my own situation, what's going on. And, and I want to bring up that, that sometimes you don't have to like get into character to be naive. Sometimes you just have to accept that it's okay for you not to know all the answers. Well, acknowledge if you don't know like, the answer. And allow that to happen yeah. because, so here's just a little, and, and this isn't, this isn't necessarily like a victim situation in my life, but just to share like, so... Um, my oldest son, who I talk about a lot, is getting ready to go to go down to college, and he needs to find housing. And it's kind of like, oh, what you know, where am I going to live, and who am I going to live with, and where should I be? And so it's kind of like this, it's this big concern that's weighing on him, and by default, it's kind of weighing on me. Like, okay, crap, where is he going to live? But the kid's twenty one, so. I could either like doo -doo -doo, take it upon myself and do all the research and figure out a contract and, and lay out all the guidelines and pay that first and last month's rent or whatever and take care of everything. Or I can be like, yeah, who cares? This is, you know, your problem. 
Or, you know, I could take that tightrope, which is, gosh, this is so different than when I was in college. Um, I mean, I don't know. Uh, what, what, are you, what are you gonna do? And, and so it's not necessarily like, it, I don't think it has to, like. Well, I it's like, both, it's both, Heidi. Yeah, you're, you're making a very good point. But you're talking about a situational thing. I'm saying the main concept of it is that you need to be okay with not exactly. being the hero and not being the Having villain. all the answers. Because parents want to have the answers. My role is that I want to be the resource. I want to be the shining. And you want to remind do. them of everything that they didn't do. The problem with that is that that time and place in your life is gone. And, I, I, and it starts I, yeah. to leave right when they hit preteen. They need to start to explore their own identity at some level. And it's hard to watch sometimes. As parents, we know too much, and that's why we're guilty. Parents, back in the days that were more naive and, and didn't know anything, they didn't have to pretend to be this way. They just didn't know stuff. Like, it, was, it was easy for them to, to pretend to be naive because there was a lot of information that wasn't available back then. But what we're talking about right now is if you look at it simply if if you want your kid to no longer be the damsel in distress, no longer the person who has no accountability, well then you can't be the ju- you can't be the police officer enforcing all of the rules and you can't be the hero that's constantly bailing them out when they need to have consequences for their mistakes. And this is a tough, this is that's why I say, that's why I say when I explain this to people, they give me all their scenarios with their family and then I give them examples and they go, oh, so I'm trying to make this as general to encompass everything, but also help you see that this is something you can do. Your kid comes to you, they're stressed out. They want you to bail them out. Maybe you just kind of take your time, but you have to do it where it's not personal. The parents that say... It can't be condescending. Exactly. The which parents is why that you're say, talking oh, I've to- tried this before and it doesn't work. I go, tell me how you did it. And they say, yeah, they came to me and they said this. And I go, well, you know, uh, you had plenty of time to do this. You, you knew about this week this. before. You should have done it before. And so I'm not going to help you. I wasn't the hero. I'm like, no, but you just said a whole bunch of stuff that wasn't even necessary to say. If you would have taken my approach, this one parent I'm thinking of, they said, okay, and this was after one of our seminars. They said, okay, well, give me, give me an example of how you have handled that situation. Because that's what they're saying. That they didn't play the hero, but they kind of shamed their kid without just being naive, playing naive. So I said, I would uh, suggest you handle it like this. They come to you. They're asking for, how do I handle this? How do I handle this? Instead of telling them they had plenty enough time, they should have done it. You're not going to help them. Just go, man, that's a good question. I, I'm not sure how to handle it. And then... The person said, well, what if they said, well, yeah, you know how to handle it. You're smart. You can handle these things. Honestly, I last time I helped you with your projects, I YouTubed it and I Googled it. Wait, you didn't know how to do that? You just figured it out? Yeah, like I just had to figure it out. So I would help you out with this right now. I'm really stressed. I got a deadline for makeup, whatever thing that you got to do and just say, I, I'd be willing to help you out. But you know, maybe there's an uncle, maybe there's an aunt, or maybe there's someone else you can go to. What normally teenagers do, if they feel like there's too many hoops to jump through to get what they want, they either A, give up on it, or they get so frustrated, they say, fine, I'll just do it myself out of anger. Hmm. That's actually better because it starts the change. 
It starts them seeing you no longer as the end-all, be-all for information of bailing them out, and they start to see you as simply the person that's just keeping things together enough so they can figure out what they need to do next. You always want to play the middle ground. Don't want to be influencing them too much in one direction or another. I tell parents things like this. You need to put your kids on a metaphorical island. And they go, what do you mean an island? I go, if they're on an island and they have to get in a canoe and rowboat and swim back or row to shore, get their food, get their water, go back to the island, that's a metaphor of their life. They want to be left alone, but they want you to fly over and drop off supplies. (laughs) I go, leave them on the island, leave them with a boat and a paddle, not a motorboat, not a helicopter, and make them come to you or for them to go and get the things that they need based upon their own resources. When someone's scared and freaked out and panicked, that they're, they were lacking enough motivation and curiosity to get the job done in the first place. And they're not going to learn it if you bail them out or if you make them feel bad because you're telling them you're not going to bail them out. Well, and it's not, it's not actually a, a position of neutrality. Like na- being naive in this situation is not neutral. It's not not caring. I think that it is important to show some compassion for the situation. Otherwise you're kind of on that other edge of the tightrope of, of pretending like you don't care or, you know, and so it's not a hundred percent neutral. It's just this, um, it's centered and you cannot be swayed either way. Right. If you do this correctly, (laughs) They could throw hellfire and brimstone at you, and the sky's falling. The sky's falling. It's like, huh? That's oh wow! Like, well, that 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 sucks that the sky's so falling. So not like, freaking out is critical. <laughs> we when I say it, when I use like naive, whatever, I'm really saying that your facial expression, your body language, has to be someone. It has to look like someone who's totally miffed and doesn't really know what to do. So it's some not complexity. Some yeah, perplexity. The, what Mist is like mad, I what, think. But. What you're feeling or bewildered, whatever you want to, what you're feeling at the moment when you do this, and parents tell me, they, they tell me things like, I've never felt so grounded and so centered in my life. My kid threw everything but the kitchen sink at me. All the stuff that would normally get me to jump and freak out, I just played it cool. And then I modeled for them that maybe it's their emotions weren't really warranted at that time. Mm. maybe it's not as big as a deal as they thought it was. Maybe they're trying to bounce it off to me. And if I reacted the same way that they're acting, now we're both been in an uproar and they would have had validation that it's this horrible thing when in reality it may not have been. You know, if you put it in the context of things, if people tell me, what, I, you know, what if my kid fails a class? I look at them, I'm like, so? And they're like, well, they can't fail. I'm like, no, sure they can. People fail all the time. Like, <laughs> I, I did it. I did it. I'll tell you, I, you know, people forget that it's an option. They forget that you, you'd not all, you, it's an option to not succeed. If everyone succeeded, we would not have the success that we have. Someone had to fail so that we could be successful. In order for people to listen to our podcast, someone has to stop listening to someone else's podcast because you can't live to every podcast throughout the whole entire, you know, day and week. It's like there has to be someone rising up to the top and someone not making it. Just don't be the person that's pushing your kid in a direction and be so fearful if they're going the right direction that you have to jump out of your own rules, your own boundaries, and try to sway them in a direction that gets you trapped as the hero or the villain. 
because now they've played you. Everyone knows with their kids, they will try to, parents know this, partners know this. Your kids will ask you something. If you don't give them the answer you want, who do they go to? They go to the next person. And then they say, okay, well, you're going to give this to me. But if you're both saying the same thing, game over. Mm-hmm. You won in the sense where now they got to figure out a different option. If you give them something that the other person said no to, they won. They used their ability to get what they want. And now their brain says, press repeat, do it again. Which teenagers are really yeah, good so, at this. So we're not saying that they're mean, evil people. We're saying they've already figured out they're master survivors. Do you understand normally teenagers, I always go back to the history. I like to put this into perspective, people. We've only been living like this for a few hundred years. Prior to a few hundred years, for thousands of years of existence, teenagers, you know what teenagers are doing? Having babies, having families, hunting, going to war, killing things and trying not to be killed. Mm-hmm. So to, for me to think teenagers have nothing in their biology for survival, you've never heard a teenager to debate their curfew. <laughs> you've never heard a teenager fight and argue with their friends about who likes who. Oh, they like to get their way. And we're just showing them they're going to get their way, but not because we sent them in that way, because they chose that way. That's why playing it in the middle is very centered, very grounded. In the beginning, it starts like a very small lane, but as you start to not have a reaction to all their demands and needs, and you take one step at a time, you're modeling for them that there's not always an urgent situation And you're also modeling for them at the same time that you are not going to show up to their pity party, but you're also not going to be a police officer throwing them in jail either. Mm -hmm. You can watch them experience what they need to go through. And that's how you can work with the the victim and pull the victim to the hero. So the second part of this, and when I say second, there's lots of steps, but the second idea to this is once you've established that you're not going to save them and you're not going to shame them, then and only then you can start to drop statements like, Man, I'm not sure what you're going to do, but based upon the last situation, how well you handled it, how resourceful you were, I'm sure you're going to figure something out because you just seem to just figure things out. They may forget that they're capable of figuring things out. If you've ever heard a teenager fear being fearful about something that was happening that weekend, they forgot that they've handled plenty of situations like that before. At the moment, they just don't know that they're more than capable of handling it. They just don't want to handle it. Well, and that happens to maybe more than teenagers. Well, yeah, present, I mean, present company. <laughs> yeah, the, Guilty the examples, as charged. <laughs> the examples, you know, they're they're widespread. They can be with all age groups, but because we're teenagers, that pivotal time. Yeah. Those are what a lot of people are really struggling with, preteens and teenagers. I think it's just a simple way to, if you're looking at your kid, let, okay, if you're listening to this podcast at night. Go peek in your kid's room. Look at them sleeping While there, sleeping. all innocent. <laughs> like, oh, they're so sweet and they're so innocent. And I can't save them from all the things that they're going to be challenged with tomorrow. Don't save your kid by being angry at them because now they don't have to take responsibility for their mistakes because you are the reason for their mistakes. And if you're a hero or if you're playing the hero all the time, don't save them from all their consequences because... Now they're not going to want to scrape their knee in life. They're going to want to stay in a padded room. They're not going to want to take risks. They're not going to want to go out and, and try things. They're going to end up being set. They're going to end up settling for situations because their fear is greater than anything that they want to do. And nobody wants their kids to be 
living out of fear. And we want them to be blazing new trails, you know, do better than you did when, when you were at their age and growing up. But they can only achieve that if they don't have these polarizing relationships in their life. So when you teach families about this, how, how many tries does it take? Are, are people, can they be successful at it pretty easily? Or, I mean, this, like my, my mind feels a little bit blown right now uh, because I'm definitely, I have a total hero complex. I don't, I don't even like to be the villain. That is the last thing that I want to be, but I will step into that hero role for anybody. I, I love to be the hero. Um, so are people successful with this? <laughs> Have you, do you know anybody that this has worked for? <laughs> He's looking at me like, Heidi, I have a job, right? Well, is it like, do people come back to you and what I'm saying and what the podcast is, and I'm glad people admit that they have to rewind and listen to it over and over again. This is, it's really complex situations that I'm trying to make simple. So if it sounds like, wait, this is just a lot at once. It's because this isn't typical counseling behavior modification. It, cognitive behavioral therapy it's it's a little bit it's a right. little bit more layers pulled back frankly i think it's genius well, well I, it makes total sense well, well thank you uh, but the reason why i say thank you is because i had to have the most intense experiences working borderline personality disorder people you're throwing everything up against the wall to see what sticks to help them out there's no books out there is giving you hope mental health professionals are scratching their head going, ah. That's the most fired people. I never knew you could fire clients. I was like, I wish I would have known that. I would have fired all my BPD clients. <laughs> Joking, all those people out there that I counseled that have BPD. Point is, we're in a situation when you're counseling someone with the most, I would say, without a shadow of doubt in my experience, the most difficult type of people to counsel that are highly intelligent, highly manipulative, and man, they draw your heartstrings in. If you've been loved by someone that has BPD, that's a love that is 10 times powerful than any other love you've ever imagined in your life, much like a teenager. Mm -hmm. You love this person so much and they hurt you more pain than anyone else. Borderline personality disorder. You love this person so much because their love is so special and they're capable of hurting you like no one else. These people just happen to be very similar, teenagers and borderline personality disorder, in the sense where they adopt the victim mentality as it's their own identity. That's who they are. But we all want to be the hero. So once you don't play that role of I'm going to be the, the police officer or I'm going to be the savior and you just kind of find that middle ground, then they start to consider maybe the, the victim just really isn't the best way to go. Are maybe there's another option. The police officer, the villain in this situation. I'm talking about the authoritarian. <laughs> That's why I'm using okay. the police officer as okay. the person who enforces the law. So okay. in a parental situation, I would say you want to be more like the judge, not the police officer. Gotcha. No one flips off the judge. Gotcha. Okay, I'm with you. <laughs> I just want to make sure that the I... Ju judge technically True. just... Judges just enact the law. They just say, all right, DUI, 10,000. Okay, did you do on. it? Yeah. But yeah, I did it. Like, they're just stating what they observe and that's they it. They stay totally calm. Judges don't go, I, I called your parents. I got a background detail about you, what type of person you are, and talk to your counselors. No, judge like, here's the information, boom, boom, gone. Just simply factual. There's not supposed to be emotion involved gotcha. in that decision. Gotcha. So, and yeah. Sorry. Mean the Sorry for on, the I wasn't trying to diss on police officers. I was just using that as police officers enforce the law. So, 
you know, in summarizing everything we're saying, you can get your kid to see that they're the hero if they're not looking at you like you're the one that's going to push them one way or the other. If you're just right in the middle, then you can be like, hey, man, like you can take care of this. Like, I don't know how you're going to figure it out, but you always seem to do it. And you walk away from that. Leave them wondering like, gosh, am I capable of doing this? Remember, you're the person, even if you adopted a kid, you're either the person who gave them life or you're the person who's actually giving them a chance to live life by taking care of them. Sure. In those roles, there's so much that they owe you that they feel that they owe you, but they're not trying to pay you back right now. They're just trying to live a successful life. So the best thing you could do for them is help them see that they can be someone worth of ad, worthy of admiration, someone that can do difficult, hard things, and that's the hero. When I talk about you need to give your kids purposeful struggle, you got to first get them out of victim mode because trying to motivate a victim to do anything that's good for them yeah, you might be able to get them to do it, but it's like someone, it's like me cramming for a test and then the day later I don't remember anything from it. Well, and here's the thing that I I want. When we talk about pur- purposeful struggle, a lot of parents are always like, now, okay, so are you talking about chores? Are you talking about mowing the lawn? every? Se- are, you, are you talking about like, okay, on Tuesdays you got to do the dishes? And so this kind of puts a totally different spin on purposeful struggle. This means being responsible for yourself is personal struggle or or purposeful struggle. This is, I have crappy friends. I'm going to go start my own friend group versus I can't make my friends happy. It's, I don't know what to do for it, but all I know is that you have these qualities about you. There's a lot of other kids sitting around, wish someone would text them. Why don't you go first? Why don't you put yourself out there? I don't know, just a thought, idea, and then walk away. Don't try to plan out their playdates for them when they're teenagers. Don't try to do all these things for them that you're accustomed to doing. Let them feel what it's like to be a hero. That It puts a totally different spin on purposeful struggle. Yeah. It really does. Because think about it. Do heroes, real heroes, like you talking about the firefighters at you know in New York during 9-11, um, you know, people that have saved the day and done really hard things. Was that not a struggle? There's no hero out there. There's no entitled hero. It's like, you know, they have a silver spoon. They've never had to work for anything in their life and they're a hero. That, that's not a hero. Like no one would even right. think a hero is a person that had their life easy. A hero is a person that does something difficult when it is required for the benefit of others. Our human experience has taught us one thing. If we don't feel like we're adding value to other people's lives, if we don't feel like that we're doing something that is necessary for other people's existence, we're living solely for ourselves, and that is a very tough life to live for yourself. Usually I think this might be my favorite episode. My, I mean... There's a lot of stuff to think about here. If we had video on, you could actually see that she's really contemplating <laughs> what I'm saying. She's like, hmm. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. And I know, I know we like to kind of, we like to kind of keep, we kind of have a hour, like give or take. And I really we'll appreciate you kind of- We'll take as long as we of, want though. <laughs> I, I, I mean, we can't get fired. Kind of, that's true. <laughs> I appreciate the deep dive because- You've brought this up a couple times and it's kind of just been sparking my curiosity like, 
Okay, I get I get that there's a villain, I get that there's a hero, and I get that you gotta kind of be your own hero. And I you know, I'm, I was trying to kind of put put it together by myself. Um but I think that you know how you've always heard, like if you're down and if things aren't going your way, if you're having a bad day, then go out and find somebody else to serve. Go find someone else to do something nice for so that you can pull yourself out of your own hole. Which And, and that's kind of something that I subscribe to. When I'm having a bad day, I find, you know, I find personal comfort in trying to maybe not wallow in my own pity and try to find something. But this is a hard thing to say to your teenagers. You know, well, who can you serve? Who can you be kind? Can you sit by somebody who isn't, you know? Well, not only is it hard to say to them, the more you try to... comes out as a lecture. Well, the more you try to say it, one, it comes out as a lecture. Kill them with kindness. One, it comes out as a lecture. Two, it's not what they want to hear because it's not what they're looking for. They need to be curious about what life would be like if they weren't always the victim at the end of every story. I mean, I think that having a victim mentality is something that we can all we can all relate to. We all run into situations in our life that we feel like this wasn't my fault. I don't deserve this, you know. Totally and, unfair. Right. Because life is not fair and high school is not fair and parenting is not, you know. So I I think there's a huge amount of application here and I'm actually really excited to just kind of think about it and just like let this tool, I don't know if we can call this a tool, like this awareness, this perspective to move up to the very front of my brain, not just for working with myself my teenagers, my team, you, you know. Well, a simple application that this is what people have come back and told me because thank you everyone for trying to really focus and listen to what we're saying because what happens is I'm trying to give you information that I get to talk back and forth with people over the course of weeks and sometimes months. And I'm trying to give you enough of it so it makes well, that's sense. that's why I was asking you if it worked. <laughs> <laughs> um just so this is what people came back and told me this is how they are able to keep it as like a little quick like a little cheat code snapshot is they would imagine um the villain like think of like that mean authoritarian power controlling boss that you've ever had and then the hero but not the hero in the sense like the person who saves the day it's like the person who's constantly scared and bailing you out all the time Picture those two people. One one person, she pictured her mom as the hero. Her mom, in her opinion, was a doormat, always got walked all over, and would do anything just to, so that her kids would like her, even if she knew she shouldn't help them out with those things. Right? And then pictured the, you know, the um the the authoritarian, the, the villain as a mean boss. All she did was when she was parenting her kid. She said, I don't want a parent like my mom and I don't want a lead like my boss. So what's in the middle? And every time she just kept on saying, she's like, I was just looking for the middle. I'm looking for the middle. And once she found the middle, she found, guess what else is in the middle? The center. Mm -hmm. Stability. All the things that were coming in and out of her house, 
the winds would blow, everything would happen, but she stayed the same. Which is not freaking out. Which is not freaking out. (laughs) And I can only speak to this woman. What she learned from this was very simple. I don't have to blow with every single wind that, that comes through our household. I don't have to protect ourselves from every storm. I have to give my kids the opportunity to learn how to provide their own shelter. And so giving, she gave herself permission Uh, not to have to run either one of those. And if she wasn't thinking about that, and this is not just her, I'm thinking about one person, but so many people like, yeah, I just imagine those two intense extremes. And I'm like, I got to be somewhere in the middle. And you got to figure out what that looks like. Well, I'm just thinking like a teeter totter. Like if, if you see that teeter totter in the playground and if you stood in the middle, you know, and stuff can you're be not going, going up and down, right? You're, yeah. you're I, I love that. I love that visual. And so. you know, it's going to be different for everybody. You got to find that. That's why I said the lane starts out really skinny and really thin. And then over time you get more comfortable. You can start saying things, experimenting with, that's why everything we talk about from the statements versus questions in our seminars and workshops, we kind of filter it all down to a one, two, three, do this, do that. And then as you start to see how it all flows, then you can go home and you start practicing it because like any game, the game of life is intricate details, lots of moving parts and tight formation. Like you're trying to keep it all together, but there's lots of variables, lots of things to consider, lots of stressors throughout the day. But if you can stay out of the hero saving, remember not saving, but supporting and not the villain where you're not disciplining, you're making deals, you're sharing ideas you're going, huh, that's interesting. So when you didn't do your homework, you failed the class. Yeah, it's unfair. Huh. Instead of saying, yeah, life's unfair, go, huh. Yeah. I, I'd be mad if I were you too. Now that someone commiserated with them, someone showed up to their pity party, they don't have to fight for someone to say that they are wrong or that they're right, you're just kind of going along with what they're saying, and now they got to move on to the next thing. It's harder to stay in a really negative place if you don't have to f- defend what you're going through. If people sure. just people say, "Yeah, I get it. It's all right. Okay, moving on. Now what next? I guess I'll got to do my homework this quarter so I don't fail again." Oh, okay. I mean, you could always get a GED. I don't want a GED, but I'm just saying you could. I like to tell parents throw out all the options. Doesn't mean you're suggesting the option. It just means you're just stating the reality. I remember all of those people out there listening to this that ever watched the movie Caddyshack back in the day. There's a funny part of Caddyshack. This one guy is going to this judge and he's saying, judge, I'm trying to get into school. And he's going off in this long rant about, I couldn't get into school. Can you call, do favors? He was just going off and he goes, because if I can't get into school, then I'm not going to get a good job. And he goes, and I'm not going to be successful. And the judge looked at me and said, ah, the world needs ditch diggers too. And that was his only response. And the kid was like, wait, what? The guy was like, you don't have to be successful. It was a joke, but I like the mentality in a sense like, well, who says you have to be an attorney? Who says you have to be a doctor? Who say like, why are you even doing these things in the first place? Because you think it'll get people's respect? Or do you actually really want to do it? Let your kids navigate their own life and you're just the supporter for that. You're not the one bailing them out and you're not the one reminding them that they're stupid all the time. That's not your role, especially as they get older. Yeah. And it's hard. Like, no one ever said this was going to be easy. It's not fair. Okay. Yeah, this <laughs> isn't called light the... Uh, it should be called light the obvious. I'm 
Well, as always, David, I think uh, I think you're onto something here, and um, I appreciate it. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to return and uh, let you know how this goes. I'm pretty excited, and actually, you guys that are listening, I would love to hear your thoughts on this. I would love to hear your feedback if you've ever tried this, if it makes sense, if you do try it, how it goes. Um, oh, you know, I'm fascinated by this. You, you, uh, you should add in what you talked about in our seminar. Heidi added something that I forgot to add during the seminar, which I think is a great way to really bring this home. Every single one of you have done this. This is not a new thing. It's just a new direction to put it towards your kids. You know when you've done it? If you've ever worked in customer service. <laughs> right. Because let's face it, with teenagers... You're more of customer service than you are of a parent at this age in their development. Well, and if you're a parent and we just told you that you're actually customer service for your kids and you just like sat up straight and and felt like, no, I'm not. I don't want to be customer service. Yeah, I didn't say what you wanted to be. I'm saying (laughs) the reality of what you're doing, you're providing all the things that they need. You're making sure that things are taken care of. Now, I'm not saying that your customer is not doing anything for you. My point is you've done this in customer service. How many times can you not, or how many times have you wanted to say someone in a business situation and you realize if you said that, you could lose a customer or if you do too much for them, now they're going to be trying to return all your products and get their money back every time. So you're finding that you don't want to do too much for the customers because then you won't make money. But then again, you don't want to tell the customers that they're stupid because you'll lose a customer. So you're constantly trying to find that middle ground where you can give good customer service, be reliable, be consistent, and you always have the you can return it no matter what policy. Heidi used the Nordstrom's and Costco analogy that people love to shop there partly because they know if anything goes wrong, there's always a reassurance you can always return it. And ideally, Costco and Nordstrom's give us great examples in that sense of parenting. They're not trying to be like, well, you got 30 days. If you don't return by then, screw you. Right? Oh, what, were you what were you doing with this? What was yeah. going on? And they're not necessarily saying, buy our stuff, use it, return the receipt, not the product because you've already used it and we'll just give your money back for a receipt. They're not doing that either. They want you to just give them a good excuse. <laughs> Really, hey, and I try, okay, we'll take it back. You know, they act like they're not going to, but they always do, right? And the point about this, it's a trusted relationship. You know that regardless if it's your fault, and how many times have we returned something that we know we shouldn't have returned? It's happened. And guess what? How many times are teenagers ask us for forgiveness of something that they know they shouldn't have done? It's happened. So, aka... Maybe a way you can think about this is it's not that you have to reinvent the wheel. You have to do this. You do the same thing in other relationships, specifically in business and work. I want you to pivot that towards your relationship with your kids. And how many times, and you know, guilt is charged. Do people say, I do this at work, but I don't do it at home? Whether it's the police officer that is a first responder out there nine to five but he comes home and he loses, completely loses his cool. Well, brings us back to, to the entitlement. We work so hard at, at home, we ex, we're entitled to come home and people listen to us and exactly. our wife has to have our perfect meal made for us and, you know, like whatever, they, like the leave it to beaver, like, you know, like it's like people that have that expectation, that's not realistic. Right. And so we do need to practice, um, you know, think about what you look like. I, I really liked 
just what you said about what does the villain look like? I don't want to look like that. And what does this total doormat look like? I also don't want to look like that. And so that kind of goes back to that really being aware of how you look in your in your situation. What do your kids see? And if you know someone that keeps their cool really well, imagine yourself trying to model like how they would handle sure. those situations. Because if most of us were fortunate enough to come across people that seem to be cool under fire, people that are cool under fire means they've been through a lot of fire. They're well-versed. They're well-experienced. They know that losing their emotions means they lose the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is this has been great. Um, and... Can I charge you for this one? Or I, this... I feel like, yeah. <laughs> it's probably a good idea if you send me an invoice. <laughs> or you know what? You have my card on file. Just, See, can I charge how many episodes? You've done 33 episodes. <laughs> DMs included. It's a, lot. it's a lot. I have a lot. Okay, well, I'll, I'll have my account send you a bill. <laughs> <laughs> all right, you guys, all of you. Um, if you could just Venmo me <laughs> so that I can pay my bill to David, that'd be great. <laughs> well, sorry, go fund me for Heidi. <laughs> That's right. And it's in David's name. It just gets deposited yeah, directly. Yeah, right in my account. Yeah, yeah. So um, if you, like I said, I would love to hear your feedback. Um, thanks, as always, for listening. We're going to close Thanks, as out. always, to 1-800-CONTACTS. For sure. Always big props, 1-800-CONTACTS, for looking over us. They're a guardian angel. Never the villain. They're a guardian angel. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, you guys keep showing up and helping us to light the fight.